0: Warren Fry from Radio Free Scarrow joins us to talk about ratings, audience appreciation indexes, stats, stats, and more stats. No, all right, he's here to resume our Christmas master plan as we look at Matt Smith's Swan Song and Santa Claus versus the Face Huggers on the December fifth edition of This Week in Time Travel.
1: have you recovered from overeating on Thanksgiving?
0: I am done with turkey for quite a while, thanks.
1: I've eaten an entire pumpkin pie, and yet I still feel like I could eat more pumpkin pie.
0: Well, I regret to inform you that I believe pumpkin spice latte season is actually over now, so your pumpkin options are somewhat more limited.
1: That's all right. Pumpkin pie is perfectly acceptable as a Christmas dessert, so all Hmm. of the pumpkin is mine.
0: Well, while we were gone, a fair bit happened in the world of Doctor Who, and we have got a new image, a new teaser, and a final synopsis for Twice Upon a Time.
1: The magical final chapter of the Twelfth Doctor's journey sees the Time Lord team up with his former self, the first ever Doctor, and a returning Bill Potts for one last adventure – Two doctors stranded in an arctic snowscape, refusing to face regeneration. Enchanted glass people stealing their victims from frozen time. And a World War I captain destined to die on the battlefield, but taken from the trenches to play his part in the doctor's story. An uplifting new tale about the power of hope in humanity's darkest hours. Twice Upon a Time marks the end of an era. But as the doctor must face his past to decide his future, his journey is only just beginning.
0: So the new bit of information in that would be the Enchanted Glass people stealing their victims from frozen time.
1: Yes, and a little bit interesting about how the emotional journey might go about this. So. The Twelfth Doctor has to face his past to decide his future seems to go along with our earlier speculation that his interactions with the First Doctor are going to be what motivates his regeneration into Jodie Whittaker. Uh, it sounds like we're also correct in that both of them are in the midst of their regeneration.
0: Mm-hmm. People really seized on the line an uplifting new tale about the power of hope in humanity's darkest hours, which... Certainly seems to be something that a lot of fans seem to be hungry for right now. This is a pretty pessimistic time. And not all of our Christmas episodes, as we've been going through our Christmas master plan, have been exactly happy-go-lucky family holiday fare.
1: Yeah, I think that it's particularly interesting that they're framing this in the context of hope because the last two Regeneration Christmas episodes have been a little bit of depressing fare. Um, they've been pretty indulgent, uh, as we're about to discuss in a moment with The Time of the Doctor, about recognizing the current doctor's actor and their time on the show and really say an emotional, heartfelt farewell to them. And that can put you in a little bit of a downer space. And I'm sure there's going to be some of that in this episode. But if the doctor is regenerating on a note of hope here, that would be a really good lead in to Jodie Whittaker's doctor. So fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. I hope that's how it's going to go.
0: Yeah, there was some criticism, uh, and a little bit of it was even voiced by Stephen Moffat himself, that with the Tennant regeneration, the pathos was laid on so thick that some fans especially felt like RTD was poisoning the well for Matt Smith, that they're making you miss David Tennant so much that Matt Smith was at a disadvantage. I disagree with that. I think the most exuberant moments in the end of time are Matt Smith post-regeneration. I
1: also don't think it was much better with Matt Smith's regeneration. And we'll talk more about this in a moment, but...
0: With Jodie Whittaker, especially, with such high stakes uh, for this doctor, I'd like to believe and, uh, and and I trust that Stephen Moffat understands that not only does he need to say goodbye to his time as showrunner and to Peter Capaldi's time as the 12th Doctor in a meaningful, memorable way, he really needs to set the table yeah, to allow Chris Chibnall's first written scenes with the 13th Doctor to really, really sing in this episode. So... The uplift, power of hope, I think that that's exactly what uh, Chibnall and Whittaker need.
1: Exactly. And Moffat really doesn't want to be seen as poisoning the well on this one. He knows as well that the stakes are going to be much higher for him with this moment of passing the torch than it would have been for any previous regeneration.
0: There is a lot going on behind the scenes to make this episode everything that it can be. And BBC Radio 2 will be there to uh, shed some light on the subject.
1: Yep. They're going to be airing a two-hour documentary with Joe Wiley going behind the scenes of Twice Upon a Time and talking with all of the principal actors as well as going back uh, to talk to Matt Lucas about what it's like being on the show, what it was like filming this episode. Uh, It's going to basically – sounds like it's going to be a pretty extended goodbye to Peter Capaldi uh, and Stephen Moffat's tenure on Doctor Who. So that will air on Thursday, December 21st at 8 p.m. London time. And it does sound like they're going to be making an effort to make this available internationally. So check out the BBC Radio iPlayer for all of you international listeners, which includes Chip and myself. uh, And hopefully we will be able to listen to it either immediately or shortly thereafter.
0: It's a heck of a trick to be doing a two-hour documentary In advance of the episode airing, so they're going to be real careful on the spoiler front.
1: Yeah, I imagine it's probably not so much a making of or insight into the episode, but more of a, you know, let's begin having the tribute to Peter Capaldi play out here. There was also a mention that they're going back into the BBC archive, so I think they're probably going to be going back and referencing past regenerations uh, as well.
0: Speaking of past regenerations, folks in the motherland with the BBC iPlayer are going to have easy access to all of the regeneration episodes leading up to Christmas. So that'll be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. uh, Get to do your own little 12 days of depressing Christmas episodes with each of your favorite doctors dying and regenerating again. Have fun!
0: (laughs) And finally, we recently discussed that Doctor Who is according to Cult Box, likely to get a new composer. So the show is going to sound very different, but it's also going to look really different, that the BBC is going to be changing their approach with new anamorphic lenses and other shooting technology to make Series 11 look supposedly more filmic, more cinematic. I think that that's really interesting in terms of the contrast between the... Transition from RTD to Stephen Moffat, where they seem to make a lot of effort to make Doctor Who feel consistent, feel like the same show. Whereas from Moffat to Chibnall, with a new shooting style, new look for the show, certainly a new gender for the Doctor, and a new sound, it really does seem like they are making an effort to make Doctor Who look and feel very, very different. Almost like the transition from the original series uh, 17 to 18 into the John Nathan Turner years.
1: I was actually thinking a lot of people that I've been following online have compared it between the transition between the Troughton and Pertwee years. That was a completely different look. They were shooting in color for the first time. Uh, They had an entirely new team there, uh, entirely new Doctor, which... You know, Pertwee not quite as significantly different from Troughton as, say, Whitaker will be uh, to Capaldi. Um, But there were still- But also the
0: big status quo change.
1: Yes, yes. It seems natural and fitting at this point that there's going to be a big revamp to it. Um, My guess would be that they're probably going to want to aim for something similar to the 11th hour, where this is going to be sort of an easy onboarding point. Um, So if you haven't been watching so far, people will be encouraged to- Go ahead, get started now. Brand new, everything. You will feel welcome here.
0: So much on the way. And we're less than a month away from this massive transition. And the closer we get, the more excited I am.
1: Me as well. But before we get ahead to Whitaker, we have to look back at a few past Christmas episodes. So when we come back, we're going to be discussing The Time of the Doctor and Last Christmas with Warren Fry. This week on The Incomparable Network.
0: Alyssa and I join my wife Shannon and Dan Morin to take on the fourth season of Netflix's Voltron Legendary Defender on the TV podcast.
1: On The Incomparable, Jason and the panel look back at the Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life. Not everyone's on board.
0: And hockey fans Erica Ensign and Deb Stanish are back with Beginner's Puck.
1: All this and more is at theincomparable.com.
0: Well, after various holidays and things, the Christmas Master Plan is back on track. And last heard on this podcast, giving a stirring monologue about the value <laughs> of stats, uh, we welcome back to This Week in Time Travel Radio Free Scarrow's own Warren Fry. Hello. Stats suck.
1: <laughs> always good to have you with us. Well, uh, You know,
2: my cheery disposition is always a plus.
0: Well, you know, you're just this beacon of sunshine. Um, <laughs> I sure am. Would you explain to us just where your antipathy towards talk about ratings and appreciation indexes came from? I, well, us talking about it on
2: for Scarlet, my two cohorts being so damned enthusiastic about it. It's probably part of it. Also, I just find stats incredibly boring. What keeps me away from Dungeons and Dragons is the stats aspect of it. <laughs> but how would you know if you hit the level three kobold? Yeah, I know. There's a reason for them to be there. I understand that. But it just it just does nothing for me. I think it, it, the antipathy started probably with sports and endless stats rattling off there. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Like baseball was interesting to me as a kid. And then I saw all the stats. I'm like, I don't want to learn all this crap. I just want to see guys run around bases. To hell with this. And it, it just ballooned from there. And then to have it invade the most secret space of Doctor Who, I mean, come on.
1: But how else will we quantify our nerdiness for our appreciation
2: of a thing? <laughs> hey, Hey, here's a crazy whacked out idea. Don't.
1: See, this is why I like having you with us It's great
0: So we're not here to talk about stats We are here to get back on track with talking about Christmas episodes As we're leading up to Twice Upon a Time And if I recall correctly, you, I'm stealing a line from your Second Chances series on Radio Free Scarrow You were the one who wanted to talk about Time of the Doctor So we're going to talk about that and uh, Last Christmas at the same time Fair, I guess. (laughs) Why do I feel like I'm being led in the lion's den here?
1: Well, you are the only one that I have known of that likes Time of the Doctor. So, uh, Warren, why do you like Time of the Doctor?
2: I think Alyssa's
0: showing her cards a little
2: bit here. (laughs) There are several and various reasons for it. For one, it's just a hell of a lot of fun. For another, sometimes certain shows or or episodes just kind of click. And this one... Just kind of clicked for me. Uh, it just like if I, if I want to break it down, first of all, handles is great. From the minute handles shows up, I'm like, okay, I'm all in on this handles business. I love this guy. He's great. He's just this sassy little dork. Now it has problems, like the fact that he keeps jerking Clara around. Although Capaldi is just as guilty of that. Um, and, and the whole thing about uh, Kiss Me When I Ask is, yeah, a little uncomfortable. I'll get that out of the way right now. But other than that, there are just parts that really charm the hell out of me. Like the whole thing where there's a montage and he shows up and they're talking about how in time the doctor found nothing but Christmas or couldn't remember any time other than Christmas. And the Murray Gold music just works and there's a little Punch and Judy show with a monoid. And then he gets older. I like the fact that he gets older and older and older. And it's, it's, it's kind of a big Muffet um Finger to the eye, saying, oh, no, no, he's going to be the longest-serving doctor, and here's how, which I kind of loved. Um, I just thought all the Eleven's time is over, stuff touching. Uh, Handel's dying is still sad, and I've watched it quite a few times. Um, I like the fact that all his enemies are there to take him out, and none of them can. There's a Cyberman made of wood. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, uh, I love the giant regeneration scene that takes them all out. It doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense, but I love it anyway, and I think he's got a great send-off.
0: That's a lot. That's a yep. lot. How about the Christmas aspect of it and the fact that it is a town called Christmas and all this stuff? You know, eh, there's a, there's a lot of shoehorning Christmas
2: in. There's a lot of shoehorning Christmas, as we'll see for the next one, in every one of these. Like, I can't – there's probably Christmas Invasion, maybe. Maybe is about the only one that's really Christmassy. End of time, barely. And it's terrible, but also is barely <laughs> – uh, a Christmas Story, like there, I, I, you'd prove me wrong, and you probably can, but I can't think of one that really has a hell of a lot to do with Christmas. Twice Upon a Time doesn't.
1: We haven't seen it quite yet, so no. But I'm willing to bet the Christmas us.
2: content is pretty low on that one. So yeah, I, I, Christmas is just an excuse because it's on Christmas. That's true. The, yeah. This one actually has more Christmas content than most, <laughs> and. uh <laughs> And it, and it barely, does. and it, there's things like the whole truth field thing. They just kind of use that as a throwaway gag and it doesn't actually go anywhere, which is a little annoying, but, but no, mostly I love it. I love how crotchety he gets <laughs> at the end. And, you know, he calls the guy Barnaby and his Barnaby's probably been dead for 300 years. <laughs> just, 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 there's a lot of charming stuff here. And it's a tour de force for Matt Smith. Um, Alyssa. Hi.
1: Hi. I don't like this episode.
2: <laughs> well, I guess
1: I, I feel I feel so mean coming after Warren being just so passionately in love with this episode. Um, I went back and I read my episode review that I wrote at the time, and I'm just bitter and angry through the whole thing. Like time of the doctors, where I threw up my hands and went, "I don't know if I'm going to keep watching this show Ouch. because I am so upset at this episode." Okay. Um, Yeah. Uh, I was not in a really good spot watching this. I think for me, sort of my uncomfortableness started with the nudity gag that felt very uncomfortable for me, because it felt deliberately designed to make us laugh at Clara's discomfort, both with, you know, the doctor exposing himself to her and her family, and then reassuring her, you're naked, but you're not really going to be naked. And actually, everyone's been able to view her naked the entire time, because they're all trained to see through holograms. And she's clearly uncomfortable with that. And that's kind of uncomfortable to watch. And I just felt like, This episode leaned into a lot of things that I don't like about Matt Smith's doctor, which is actually really kind of sad because Matt Smith was my doctor for a long time. And there were a lot of things that I really liked about him. And this just showcased all the things that I don't like uh, about him. You know, I wasn't in favor of that kind of slapstick. No, the doctor isn't just an alien. He's an alien who's totally forgotten that it's not customary to walk around completely naked in contemporary uh, England. He's a doctor that is gonna, you know, slap Clara's ass and then jerk her around and abandon her multiple times. And it just it really struck a sour note for me because it I, you know, I didn't want to be in that space. I wanted to sit, have a good send off for Matt Smith. And like his final speech at the end where he's saying goodbye and regenerating was really well done, which was is a thing that I really liked about what he could do with his doctor. But there was all of that sourness leading up to it um, that just really put me in a bad spot with this episode. So, yeah, I'm not a, a huge, huge fan of it. I thought the Christmassy aspect of it was nice. You know, Town Called Christmas is kind of sweet. Get a snow-covered village and uh, occasional battles and silly battles, too, against, uh, you know, I love the wooden Cyberman. I thought that was hilarious, especially that Sonic doesn't work on wood. So, had to totally turn around the situation on the Cyberman. I loved Uh Those handles.
0: poor hapless Santarins.
1: Yes, the hapless <laughs> time. That, that
0: does bug me, because they do get kind of
2: unjustifiably murdered.
1: <laughs> but, you know, it, there there was a lot of, like, small moments that I really liked, but it was just, I had, I had such a hard time getting to a spot where I could even like those.
0: Did it I sit with you better disagree. the second time around? No. <laughs> I don't disagree with what you're saying,
2: but it didn't bug me as much, which makes me an awful person, I suppose. But... <laughs> I, I mean, did. I did really enjoy it. I can't deny I did.
1: Everyone's tolerance level is at a different level for that kind of thing. And I think everyone was looking for different things with Matt Smith's goodbye. And uh, yeah, that's that's just sort of, you know, it, it for me was at a level where I it detracted from my enjoyment of the things that I did want to like about the episode, which is, you know, just everyone's everyone's at a different spot with it.
0: I don't hate this one. I I come at it uh, from a couple of different places, and one of them is, I'll just own it right now, hugely personal, Uh, so let me get the more objective bit out of the way first, and then I will bare my soul to the ages here. There is an awful lot of cleanup work that Stephen Moffat is doing in this episode to wrap up Matt Smith plots the whole series 6 stuff with the silence and the explosion of the tardis at the end of uh, season yeah, 5 which i liked i liked that he was cleaning that stuff up yeah but it all happened really really fast it was like not not exactly throw away lines of dialogue but it's it seemed to me like he decided that there's no more that there's no more to be done to this stuff so i'm going to kill these plot points dead you know, we never had a sense that uh, Madame Kavarian and the Silence were actually part of the Church of the Papal Mainframe or anything like that. Spl- well, they were split off. They said so. They right, they so? said that they said that in this episode, in, in this episode. But yes, th- that sort right. of all of that stuff. I, I I don't know whether it was too neat or too rushed, but it, it it just didn't sit right with me that all of these things that we thought that were plot holes uh, just were so quickly resolved so now we get to the personal uh the, the personal reaction that i had to this one it is well documented that you warren and you Alyssa, both do not share my appreciation of the end of time uh share no. appreciation is putting it generously but okay <laughs> <laughs> and i'm okay with that um uh I, I I really do enjoy The End of Time. It is by no means flawless, and I love it despite its faults. I'm not blind to the faults. One of the things that I heard regularly from critics of The End of Time talked about how self-indulgent it is. Time of the Doctor feels awfully self-indulgent to me as well, in, in, just, in, in just sort of the same ways. Uh, right down to the we're going to give the Doctor thirteen more regenerations, uh, as you know. This wouldn't have been a plot point if uh, it, if uh, Moffat had been able to sign sign Chris Eccleston to uh, the day of the Doctor.
2: I have something to say about that, but I'll wait till you're done.
0: Okay, and the climactic. This is not only a regeneration, but a regeneration that blows up spaceships, <laughs> um, which I kind of liked because it's so over the top. It is so over the top, but the aspects of the end of time were so over the top. And when I watched this when when I watched this episode, I'm like, this is so over the top. this is so self-indulgent and weren't all the people who were telling me that I was wrong about the end of time criticizing it for it being self-indulgent? Yeah. Now those critics weren't that wasn't that wasn't the only thing that they were throwing at the end of time. but uh, it just it it felt unfair in an entirely insecure and fanish way uh, to it, me. Uh, it's not as dumb as the end of time. There are no
2: masters everywhere, <laughs> so, which is my biggest problem with the end of time is just oh, and potions, let's not forget the potions. Um uh, the whole thing with Regenerations, I loved that because, A, I love the fan wankery of the War Doctor to begin with, and B, after, oh, God knows how many, what, 30 years since uh, more? 40 almost. almost, I think 40 years since uh, Deadly Assassin, when this whole thing in a throwaway line got established that you can only have 13 Regenerations, a big crack opens in the sky and out comes a big F you to every annoying fan who insisted upon this of a certain age and male and probably British, let's be honest here. So... So so that, for me, was glorious. I'm like, yes, yes, you can't do anything about it, you cranky old fans. Here it comes. So for me, that was great.
1: Warren, I think I found a commonality between episodes that you really like. It's that Stephen Moffat goes the extra mile to just deliver a big F.U. to all I'm the like annoying I'm,
2: people. I'm, I've been called, and rightly so, a bit of a troll of fans, and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, because i do enjoy trolling the fandom uh quite a bit but i got nothing on mr moffat i got you, he, he has the ultimate <laughs> weapon really a DMAT gun if you will oh traveling. my god
0: <laughs> i mean when you're when you are the showrunner <laughs> there is no more powerful place to address trolls never ever ever put me in charge of doctor who because
2: you, all it would be <laughs> it would last a season and it would just be me uh, uh, conducting weird personal vendettas that may work out stories and maybe <laughs> not. <laughs> so, so just don't let me do it. Um, but I was gonna say in terms of something personal, I had this th- the same, uh, much more deeper personal thing about it. And well, not that I'm comparing, but uh, I watched this again in May at the like when it came out. Uh, the month afterwards, I broke up with my ex. So at the like, I was really not in a happy place around Mayish after that. Uh, and I watched this and just. Just had myself a good cry, frankly. And so and so. this, for whatever reason, this was a very cathartic episode. It has it had nothing to do with the story itself. It just, all the sad stuff in it made me lose my sh frankly, if you have to bleep that out, sorry. <laughs> uh, and so it was, so it has a place in my heart for that reason alone, for being a, a therapeutic thing.
1: We all have episodes like that.
2: Yeah. yeah. Yes. And that was mine. So, so the time when the doctor, maybe if that hadn't happened, I might have a different uh, opinion of it, but th- that
0: definitely was like a kind of a keystone to it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's. It is powerful, in the, and it's well-produced. Uh, Murray Gold's soundtrack to this episode is really, oh, really great. well done, and it sounds so yeah. different from other things. It's uh, One of the other reactions that I had to rewatching this was that, you know, he could have stuck around for Chris Chibnall. He can make Doctor Who sound very different whenever he wants. Mm-hmm. And there are great shots in this. Like, the,
2: I love the shot of, uh, you know, older, like, middle-aged, I guess, Smith Doctor walking in the shadows with the silence. Like, that's a great shot where he's attacking. That's in the whole montage. And uh, the shot where he's sitting by the chair and the crack in the wall is right there. I think there's just some really great visuals in this one.
1: Mm-hmm. It does have moments where it's just a really, really beautiful episode.
2: And, and And how does somebody, like you got to give him off credit. He introduces handles at the beginning of this thing. Forty minutes later, you're like, i miss handles. He's like he didn't exist prior to this episode.
1: Yep. would have been nice if some of that time maybe was, you know, developing Clara's character. But okay. Uh, I, I have my
0: little <laughs> drum that defense. I beat over Handles. here. <laughs> um, so a, a bit of a, a bit of a split here on our assessment of time with the doctor. You know, one one touching moment was uh, when Clara meets oldest Matt Smith, and he can't open his Christmas cracker, so she has to help him do that. Uh, fast forward a year to last Christmas, and the tables are turned. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah.
1: Yep. They bring back that little moment.
2: Also, I love the little moment with uh, Clara's uh, grandmother. She's just telling her story about uh, about you know, regrets from days before, and her mother is just completely missing the point. I like that little scene. I think it's nice.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, f- let's fast forward a year to the Last Christmas and talk about that one, which, unlike the previous one, is not intended as a regeneration episode. It's not even a status quo reset. At the time... They had done a fairly good job of uh, playing coy about whether Jenna Coleman would be returning for the ninth series, Uh, and this episode plays with that fairly intently.
1: Yeah, I read my old episode review of that, and I was so annoyed with all of that. Like, <laughs> I I just – I went back and watched it in advance of this podcast, and I liked the episode so much more than I did the first time around. Because the first time around, I was so annoyed with them messing around with us and the constant – Are they? Aren't they? Is she coming back? Is she not? Is this the end of her story? Isn't it? I I was so fed up. I just threw up my hands. I'm like, I'm done. No, do not want. Do not want to keep fighting this fight. Uh, But it's actually a lot better episode when you take out the Stephen Moffat pulling around the fandom again.
2: Although having said that, I was watching it. And then when Danny shows up, I was I was frankly, confused because I'd forgotten what had happened in Dark Water. And so I'm like, Is, he's, "Like he's dead now, right? Well, I, I don't remember. And then the Doctor doesn't know where he does. And I was just like, all that made sense in the context of the time. And now I'm just like, I, I, I haven't thought about this for two years. I'm completely lost yeah. as to what's going on.
1: It's, I think that was actually one of the most well-done moments of the entire episode uh, because it, it really leans into uh, sort of the emotional place that both of – the doctor and Clara are at in that moment. Um, It actually was like a genuinely good moment for Clara and Danny's relationship. Like weird that it had to happen now after he was dead, but like a genuine acknowledgement of where that relationship had been going and what Danny meant to Clara, both as like a person that she loved and as a major regret in her life that she treated him the way that she did, which... Feeds into a lot of her guilt around his death. I just thought, you know, from the way that was filmed, which had just this lovely dreamlike quality to it, to the way it was written. I just thought it was gorgeous.
2: Yeah, yeah, I liked that moment. Uh, it just, it just
0: was. I had to recall the current story stuff, and I was having a hard time doing it. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it really interesting seeing the contrast in Clara and in Jenna Coleman from Time of the Doctor to last Christmas after a year of the actress and the character getting used to an entirely different doctor.
1: Well, she was also a, you know, more fleshed out character and not a plot point at that point in time. I, I mean that, like, I know it sounds very bitter. I mean that genuinely. After she was the Impossible Girl, she didn't really have any real built-up character at that point to really work with in time, yeah, in true. uh. uh the time of the doctor, like a lot of those family members hadn't been well introduced. I remember a lot of people being very confused and back and forth going like, have we have we seen these people before? Like, how should we know about their relationships? Um, I believe it was the makeup job on her dad was so different that a lot of people were really confused about who he was and why he was there. And it just – she didn't really have a – A relationship with the doctor outside of being the impossible girl mystery that he had to solve. And this was after, you know, last Christmas is after an entire season built around Mm -hmm. deepening that character, comparing her to the doctor and having them both sort of recognize each other for who they were. Um, So there's a lot more work having been done in building their relationship by this point.
2: I just had a flashback to the, um, to the quote unquote air quotes controversy of her eyes being in the opening and how certain man babies got a little angry
0: about that. Oh, that
1: was a Moffat troll that I really deeply appreciated on a spiritual level. (laughs) As did
0: I, as did I. (laughs) Um, we've not mentioned the most Christmassy aspect of this episode yet, which is Nick Frost as badass Santa. And he is great. And actually the elves are great too. Like they're quite entertaining. Um,
2: I kind of got like, while I was watching this, I have like the phone test. If I get out my phone, then you're losing me. And I got out my phone for this. So it was kind of losing me at the end with the, oh, we're in a dream. Oh, we're not. Oh, we're not. And the other thing about this is like, I like Capaldi, uh, and I like his stories. And I think his stories are in some ways better than the last batch of Matt Smith stories. But having said that, the tone of it, of the early ones kind of bugs me. Like it's just a little too mean spirited or dark, uh, and his whole, like, he's just turning from that here. And so it's kind of a little off putting to me to see the darker Capaldi Doctor as opposed to the, you know, roguish, uh acerbic funny jerk ass that he is now, which is, which is way, I think the perfect, like his last season is the perfect characterization of the doctor for me.
1: I think this for me felt like a turning point between being mean and being roguish. Like in this episode, yeah. he's leaning a lot more into that sort of roguish humor that he's really going to be building up in series nine to get to series 10. Um, mm-hmm. And so like this, this for me is when I start seeing that turn of him recognizing he doesn't need to play the role quite so mean all the time, that there's a balance uh, with that roughness that he can bring into that character, that he can be harsher without being so mean about it all the time. And he's really finding the balance in this story for me. Mm -hmm.
0: But it was kind of a shock to be back to that, like the meaner part of it. Yeah. Um, I hadn't realized how much work this episode does to set up the... Clara and the Doctor addicted to each other and Clara addicted to danger and life in the TARDIS as the end of this episode does. We go from what really felt like an authentically touching send-off for the Clara character uh, as aged. I don't remember how close they were, whether Stephen Moffat just added the final tag that, nope, even this was a dream when... Jenna Coleman decided to stay another year or what, but that final wake-up call and when the doctor encourages her to come back on the TARDIS with him, and th- that just seems to set the tone for the entire rest of uh, Series 9.
1: I seem I seem to recall that he had wrote the original ending with Clara as an old woman with the thought in mind that Jenna wasn't going to be coming back. I'd have to go double-check that Later, But that I seem to recall that he had written it with that in mind because she still wasn't sure at that moment whether she was going to stay. And then the final scene where no, really, it was a dream all along. They were still in a dream was added once Jenna made up her mind. I seem to remember that.
0: Hmm. I think you're right. We will find out as soon as this episode is released.
1: (laughs) We will have all of the fans in our mentions correcting us.
0: Yeah. Oh, great. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Although I should expect that being a troll, yeah,
1: um, you're you're king of the trolls here,
0: Warren. What did you think about it as as far as a setup for series nine? Uh, it's a good
2: setup for series nine. Um, as a story in and of itself, it's just kind of like it's just kind of there. You know what I mean? It's uh, by the end of it. I liked aspect of it. I liked the fact that. Um, that the the, the, the characters uh, have different roles in life, and 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 the doctor sort of it's like he's like you said he does the whole thing where he's where he's sort of being set up as this kind of like uh, roguish jokester where he's like you the sexy one and it's the older lady which you know is fine. It's not nothing to laugh about, but it's just kind of cool that it, it shows his perceptions are off from everybody else's or like from common received wisdom or whatever, or so what society tells you you're supposed to like. That's what I, I'm really digging a hole for myself. Here. <laughs> but, but anyway, the point being, yes, I do like the, that it does kind of turn uh, in that direction, but it is such a pivot that I had kind of a hard time wrapping my head around it because I was trying to reconcile the two parts of it together and, and failing, frankly. And then I checked my phone. <laughs>
0: It is such a such a contrast between uh, Santa Claus, who, although he does have a bit of an edge to him, I mean, he's played by Nick Frost, but he is, in fact, Santa Claus. And what a perfect name to play Santa, by the way, Nick Frost. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mixed with a deliberate homage to Aliens. Um, yes. The the aliens are even called facehuggers in the script and uh, and and they are dark and scary. Those moments when the facehugger things sort of flex their bodies a little bit as though there are mouths and you can see the bodies inside and things like that. It's uh, it's it's quite the contrast.
1: It's it's one of these episodes that I kind of liked just viewing, you know, on a random Friday evening, not so much an episode that I liked at Christmas time because I yeah. actually remember my whole family, we were going to sit down and actually watch a Doctor Who Christmas special together for the first time ever because I've converted enough of my family members now that I have a, you know, critical mass to be able to do <laughs> not this. Not me. I hide the we, basement
2: to watch the Christmas episode. Well,
1: <laughs> oh, I couldn't even do it th- that year because um, the we had a toddler in our group and it was going to be way too scary for her. Like I'd seen enough of the trailers in the previews, and uh, we were still not sure. And then I saw the first reviews coming in from people in the UK who'd been watching it earlier that day, and they're like, no, this terrified my kids. We couldn't watch it anymore. I was like, well, yep, can't watch this with my family this year. Um, So it's like, I think it's a fine episode, uh, really not good as a Christmas special episode.
0: Yeah, I, I can't argue with that. Santa Claus notwithstanding. I loved the supporting cast in this one. I felt so bad for Chandra. Shona. Shona. Um, yes. I, I felt Shona was great. I felt so bad for her because uh, she was, you know, she was real. She was fun. She was funny. I loved the. I loved her oddball dancing intro uh, there, and I have been Shona uh, at the end of a like a. Series of workshops or a convention or something like that where, you know, can we keep each other, can we can we share each other's phone numbers? Can we keep in touch? You know, she this was a pivotal moment for her. And then she's going to lose it all. And she's going to wake up and she's back at her flat with her uh, list of things to do. And she's not going to remember any of this stuff. That was kind of that was kind of bittersweet. Uh But she, she's one of those characters that I would have loved to have s- seen become a companion. There have been so many Almost companion type uh, characters over the years, and she would have been one of them that I would like to see. But oh, well, she's got she had things like uh, Game of Thrones to do. And that's something she I'll was
2: give great. this over a um, time of the doctor. There really aren't any <laughs> people in that besides Clara and the doctor who I mean, maybe what's her name who runs the church? That's about it, really, when you get right down to it. In terms yeah. of characters that are memorable. And Handles, of course, the greatest companion ever.
1: <laughs> well, that's the thing. Handles is more memorable than uh, the woman who runs the church. Like, there's so many characters, you can't even remember their names later. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, just, they're just kind of eminently forgettable. But they're so much more memorable with Last Christmas.
2: It's also a different kind of story, so yeah.
1: Different type of story, but, you know, still.
0: Yeah. So, um, Time of the Doctor... Swan song for Matt Smith that hit us all in very different places, but we we're all sort of in the same place with Last Christmas, which was more or less, yeah. It's fine.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. It's,
0: You'll do fine, good. as I
2: pat it on the head and send it on its way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, but then our thrill-seeking Doctor and Clara spin out of that into uh, a series full of a series full of tragedy. Uh, yeah, it does five. not work out at all, well for anybody. No. Nope. Well, Warren, thank you so much for joining us for talking about these two. And we will be back next time to talk about the last two of our Christmas master plan um, the return of Husbands Dr.
1: Of, the Husbands of River Song and the return of Dr. Mysterio.
0: Yay. I <laughs> liked Husbands of River Song. That's actually a good, awkward stopping point for this segment. <laughs> There we go. Hey, thanks for listening to this week in time travel, and thank you for giving us a week off. you're You're a really great boss. You know that?
1: you can find us online at thisweekintimetravel.com we're also on twitter at who this week chip is on twitter at numeral two minute time lord and i'm on twitter and tumblr at Feminism. you can also find us on facebook too
0: this Week in Time Travel is hosted by Jason Snell's The Incomparable Network and supported by members like you, if you happen to be a member. You can support us by going to theincomparable.com slash members and ticking the box for This Week in Time Travel and any other Incomparable shows you happen to like. We also want to thank Christopher Breen for our theme music and David J. Lohr for our logo. We will see you next week on This Week in Time Travel.
1: Bye-bye.